Go with me to the ninth chapter of the book of John, uh, beginning in verse 1. We find Jesus has been having some controversy, which he always did with the Jewish leaders. But he's en route, leaving that meeting. And verse 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, verse 1 says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Of course, the Lord goes on and heals this man by spinning the dirt, making some mud. Maybe that's where the term mud in the eye, I don't know where that came from. But uh, puts the mud, a poultice made out of saliva and dirt in the man's eye. Uh, Brother Glenn, that's be the last thing you want to do, wouldn't you? Put dirt into a wound. But the Lord showed he can do anything in order to heal. And of course, it wasn't the um, medicinal properties of the mud or anything. It was just that the Lord was there. And the Lord did it. He told him to go wash in the pool. And he got his eyes back. Then we have a whole chapter here of controversy about uh, Jesus healing on the Sabbath day and about who it was and finding the man. See, he never had seen Jesus. And finally the Lord came and confronted him and introduced himself. I'm the fellow who uh, gave you back your sight here. The thing of interest to me here is this begins initially with the disciples' first thought is, who can we blame? Was it his parents? Was it him that caused him to be born blind? Now, I can maybe understand how you might say, did his parents sin and that was punishment for their sinning? But how could the man have sinned and been born blind? There are some uh, commentators that believe that the uh, Jewish people, a sect of them, did believe in reincarnation, which is the only way this makes sense. But this, this is of no consequence. The thing that's of interest to me is how the immediately jumped on who to blame. You and I play the blame game all the time. Something goes wrong, who can I blame? Waylon Jennings has got a song. I, I, I quote from country music stars a lot. But Waylon Jennings has got a song that says, that woman of mine ain't happy unless there's something wrong and someone to blame. Well, we're, we're all like that. Uh, we want to look around and basically say, not my fault. Uh, I, I may have done something terribly stupid and really bad here, but somebody else is, is to blame. Oh, yes, sir. I, I was driving 100 miles an hour on the interstate. I was a little drunk, and I was texting, and I had a wreck, but I'm going to sue T-Dot. It was T-Dot's reason. You know, you can get all kind of help suing people. Everybody will sue anybody, and um, a lawyer, excuse me, Brother Larry, but, but not, not a California lawyer, no, not, 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 a, not a primitive Baptist California lawyer, but a lawyer will blame anybody if you got the retainer, <laughs> and, then we can, and then we can go forward. I'd like to look at some examples in the Bible where somebody blamed somebody and, and, and how that worked out. 
course, you know, the very first one we find blaming the Bible is the book of Genesis. The Lord created Adam, and then he said, Adam needed help meet. And then he gives, her, he gives him Eve as his help meet. And then Satan tempts, and she eats, and uh, he uh, also gives in, and he, he gives in to uh, her suggestion, and they both sin, and as a result of that, mankind is cast into uh, being alienated, separated from God. We find in Genesis, the um, ninth, the uh, third chapter, verse 9. And the Lord called out unto Adam, and he said unto him, Where art thou? Do you think Adam was hiding from God and God didn't know where he was? I don't think so. I think that he was just saying, Adam, where are you? What, what's happened here? What, what, in, in this stage of our relationship, stop and take a little minute here and say, Adam, where are you? What, what, what's happened here? What, what's the situation here? And he said unto him, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, God, said, who told you thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree where I commanded thee not, thou shouldest not eat? The man said, the woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me of the tree. First, he blamed the woman. Not my fault. I'm not to blame. I saw a cartoon once that maybe may been a Dilbert cartoon, but the employee is standing in front of the boss, and the boss is saying, I, I didn't say your fault. I said I was going to blame you. <laughs> that happens a lot of times. It's Maybe it's not your fault, but somebody's going to scapegoat. Somebody's going to get, take the blame. And so this employer was taking the blame. But Adam says, the woman did it. No, no I, I didn't, not to be blamed. And compounds it by saying, it's the one you gave me, God. If you had not given me her, I wouldn't have sinned. I can pass it along. And then the woman says, the serpent tempted me, the, the, beguiled me. So from the very beginning of time, we find trying, people trying to shift the blame away from themselves. Someone once said, as uh, friendly and as bucolic as um, Mayberry, uh, North Carolina was, supposedly, Andy Griffith, I think, they, they made a comment. You know, the only one on the whole show there that was married was Otis. And he was a drunk. So I don't know if, if you can learn it. Anything from that, but uh, uh, I'm in the Sons of the American Revolution, and we get together for a breakfast. We're Romeos, you know, retired old men eating out. And we uh, have breakfast, and uh, there are about eight or nine of us there, and there are about four of them that are single. One of them is an old bachelor. He was in the Coast Guard and spent most of his life uh, rocking and rolling on the ship. But uh, the rest of them were, were widowers like that. But I asked them, I said, you know, you single guys right now, how in the world can you cope without having a wife to blame? And when, when something goes wrong, that's wives are good. And, and this is something we always do, because husbands are blamed by the wives for things. And this is just how things tend, tend to kind of work out here. So we asked the question, why do we like to blame other people? Why do we play the blame game? I guess it's just part of our human nature that we would like to look around and just say, I'm going to absolve myself of all responsibility because of me not being to blame. 
we find in the book of Exodus that uh, Israel has gotten out from Egypt. They have departed the land. They have been blessed. They are no longer slaves. It's a terrible situation that they were under. Things are pretty good when Joseph led them in and Joseph was there and uh, the, the Pharaoh liked Joseph, but then there rose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And then Israel began to be oppressed. Well, they leave uh, Egypt. Everything's going pretty good until they get to the Red Sea. And, and listen to what the uh, people say. And when Pharaoh, this is Genesis 4, uh, Exodus 14 and 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were so afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou thus dealt with us? Carry us back, for, back to Egypt. The, the, the um, Israelites, kind of funny here. You mean the one in graves we could die in Egypt? We could die there and be buried there. But you got us out here in, in the wilderness. These things, things are going on. And here's the sea in front of us. And here's Pharaoh behind us. It'd been better for us to stay in Egypt. And, and Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And we know what happened. Unbelievable. The Red Sea was parted. I read many commentators trying to explain a natural phenomenon that why it was parted. No, the Bible says God sent a wind and just separated and they walked across dry shod. The bottom of the sea was surely just mired in mud until the Lord caused a miracle and they walked across dry, dry shod. But the point is that Moses was taking the heat. Moses was blamed. And I said, why did you bring us out here? It's, it's got to be rough on a leader to always be taking the blame. Lyndon Johnson said being present was like being a jackass in a hailstorm. All I can do is just stand there and take it. Just stand there and take it. And I, I have a hard time realizing why anybody would want to go into politics because you know there's going to come times when you can't do anything right. But Moses took the heat. And they saw the miracle. It's just amazing how in just one moment it looks like everything is just falling to pieces. Everything's dark. There's no hope. It's just a matter of, uh, it's the end of the world. And then a few span of time, everything turns around. The sea is parted. And we go on with our life and things move on. We have sometimes miraculous healings take place. But if not, we learn how to deal with it. We have grace to cope with it. And so, but here, the Israelites, they saw the great miracle. And they rejoiced. They got on the other side. The Bible says that they sang a great hymn, a great song to God. The horse and rider he hath cast into the sea. How grateful that they were. But later on, they tend to be a, a little bit forgetful and forget how God had dealt with them. Another reference here. We find that... Um, Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai and he is up there for a while and the people don't think that he's coming back. I don't know uh, why they would think that, but after a period of time, they go to uh, Aaron and they say, Aaron, let's make us a God to take us back to Egypt. Otherwise they wanted their faith. They'd seen the Red Sea parted 
And yet now they want to have a God made to lead them back to Egypt. Now, Aaron says, bring me all your gold jewelry, and let's melt it up, and we'll, we'll fashion it into the likeness of a golden calf. That was the Egyptian God. And then we will, uh, this golden calf will lead us back. Well, about that time Moses shows up, Aaron, what in the world have you done? This is the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought this great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Not let the anger of the Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that thou art set on mischief. For the said unto thee, Make us gods which shall come before us. For this Moses, gone before us, the land, we wot not what has become of him. And he said, I said unto them, Whoso has gold, let him break it off and bring it to me, and I cast it in the fire. And out came this calf. And it's a little different from what really happened. Moses, uh, Aaron said, bring me the gold. That's, that's, that's true. But he, he says, Moses, I just threw it in the fire and bingo. Here comes this golden calf out. Well, what really happened was he very carefully crafted this little God that would bring them back. He blamed the people. He blamed the people. So this, this is what happened. This, this is why I did this. It was because of what the people did. That they just aggravated me so far and so hard that I just couldn't do it. The Bible says that Moses was told to speak to the rock like he did before and water would come out. The people aggravated Moses so bad that he struck the rock. And he said, must Aaron and I bring you out water? They were taking uh, credit for it themselves. And because of that, Moses was punished himself and was not allowed to go into the, into the promised land. Blaming other people, others, is, is no benefit. There's no, uh, no, no great uh, solution to it. You're just blaming other people. Second Samuel, the 12th chapter. David has sinned with Bathsheba. He saw her on the rooftop. He, uh, he was aroused. Go get me that girl. Bring her over here. He did. Had a relationship with her. And she got pregnant. In order to cover it up, he said, well, let's get uh, Uriah, her husband, to come back. He'll spend some time with her. And they'll think, he'll think that's his child. But old, good old Uriah says, no, I'm a fighting man. I should be out to war. And so he stepped outside in the hallway and would not go in to his wife. And so... David says, this is not going to work. So finally, he puts Uriah in the heat of battle and tells Joab, pull back whenever the battle gets real hot. He, Joab does, and Uriah's killed. He dies. It's a terrible thing that he did. But God had a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan is sent to David and tells him a story about a man who had uh, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had flocks and flocks and flocks of sheep. The poor man had one little lamb. He was like a child to him. He was just a, a pet lamb, but it's his child. He, he loved this little lamb. And Nathan says the rich man had company coming in. He wanted to have something to uh, have hospitality for him. And so he takes and has the, rich, the poor man's lamb slain and feeds that one little lamb that he loved to the visitors. And Nathan says, what do you think about that? 
Well, David was just uh, greatly angered. He says, whoever did this shall be punished. He shall restore fourfold to what he, what he has done there. And he's greatly kindled. The man that done this shall surely die. Shall surely die. And he says, restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. Because he hath no pity. And then Nathan said unto David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anointed the king of Israel, and I delivered thee out of the house of Saul. I did all these things for you, and you took this man's wife and had him killed. Thou art the man. That, to me, is the most uh, soul-searching four words in the Bible. Who, who can I blame it on? Who can I pass it on to? Who can I say it's your fault? It's you who did it? And he finally comes back, thou art the man. We can look at Christ on the cross. Why was he there? Thou art the man. Your sinful nature, you're being alienated from God, you're being separated from God, you're the man. You're the woman Why Christ was there. Why Christ suffered for you. He had no sins of his own. He had no thing he had to pay for. And yet for your sins and my sins. You can't escape that one fact that thou art the man. And yet we still want to blame other people. The blame means to assign responsibility, to give fault. And who can we look around and say, how can I uh, get out of this? That's basically what we're trying to do, trying to get out of it. Trying to say, I, I, I don't want to accept responsibility. In our nation, we have the Republicans blame the Democrats. The Democrats blame the Republicans. In race, one race blames the other race. And the other race blames them back. Husbands blame wives, and wives blame husbands if something goes wrong. Children blame parents. If you ever want to have an interesting experience, have a doctor say that your child needs to go to a child psychiatrist. Now get ready for it, because when it comes back, it's going to be your fault. The psychiatrist is always going to be something that the parent did that caused the problem. So you're paying somebody a good hourly rate in order to come back and tell you that. So just get ready for it. It may be helpful. It may not be helpful, but kids can blame parents nowadays. Just, just a, a lot of things that are going on. Uh, Y'all, my favorite, one of my favorite TV shows is Duck Dynasty. I don't think anybody's low, low down enough to look at Duck Dynasty. But Phil Robertson is the patriarch, the father, the one that started the uh, duck call making business. He was a quarterback down in southwest Louisiana on the first team. His backup was Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, because Terry went on to be very successful with Steelers. But uh, he, he met, uh, Phil got tired of being beat up by linemen coming at him. He said, I finally came to the conclusion now that uh, we have 11 people, every play running at me, trying to hurt me severely. He said, so I decided to quit that. So he dropped out of football, and Terry went on to be very successful. But he said uh, several years ago, or several years after they split up, he finally met Terry at an uh, airport. Terry, how you doing? How you doing, Phil? 
understand you just got through your third divorce. Uh, yeah, that's right. Terry, did you ever think that it might be you? It might be your fault? Not just accidental that you've been marrying women, bad choice in women, but perhaps you're the one that are creating some things like this. Y'all may recall uh, Flip Wilson. He was a black uh, comedian back in the uh, uh, 70s, I think. But he had a uh, character he would dress up as a, as a woman. Her name was Geraldine. Y'all remember Geraldine? The devil made me do it. Whenever something went wrong, he would say, the devil made me do it. Well, a lot of times we can blame the devil. Say, I had no choice. The devil tempted me. The devil caused me to do this. Well, the devil cannot cause, cause you to do anything. The devil can tempt you. The devil can make it look very, very inviting in order to uh, have you to try to do what the devil said for you to do. Uh, you know, when, when the Lord uh, was tempted by the devil with the turn stones into bread and then to uh, uh, cast yourself off the temple and worship him, he could have, if he had power, could have caused Christ to go to the temple and just jump off, but he didn't have the power. He could tempt him. Uh, Job was afflicted by Satan, but only when God allowed this that he might show his true faith that he might come through. But he has no power to cause us to do anything. It's choices that we make. And so when you do something like that, then you simply are fulfilling maybe your, your evil nature, but it's you who make that decision. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, chapter 10, verse 13. That no temptation taken you, but is common unto man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. But will with the temptation make also a way of escape that you may also be able to bear it. Temptations are rough. But the Bible says, and it's true, that when you stand up to it, you may suffer some things in the eyes of the world. You may have to go through some being ostracized. Uh, being made fun of whenever you stand up to the temptation, but it, the Lord has given you a way to escape. Even in the old days when those were martyred, and when they were told to recant and to turn their backs on the Lord and to die the Lord, they made a choice not to. And the way of escape was to go and be the Lord quicker than they were going to be without that. And so there was not a great amount to pay there because they simply went on to be with the Lord a little earlier than he planned to be. And so there was a, there was a way of escape. Uh, we looked at uh, Peter. The Bible says Peter was executed like the Lord. He went on. The Lord said how he was going to die. Uh, Peter lived his whole life knowing he was going to die a violent death. But it was okay. He didn't turn his back on because he knew what was going to be ahead for him. I've got some thoughts here about how to deal with the blame game. If it's not a problem for you, forget it. But I think it's a problem for everybody. That we tend to try to blame somebody else and we actually reduce our happiness, reduce our service, reduce our relationship with the Lord whenever we try to turn around and blame somebody else. First thing I think is to accept responsibility. If you mess up, mess up. Uh, realize that it's your fault. It could be your fault. It might really be your fault. 
and, and confess it to the one you have wronged, if you have to, the Bible talks about bad enough, you may need to come and confess it to the church, but to confess that you are wrong, I know it's awful hard sometimes for people to say I was wrong. When I say I'm wrong, I don't know why I was wrong. Well, 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 I can't get the word out sometimes because I just, I just don't want to admit that I was wrong. So accepting responsibility, I think, is the first step there. If you're going to have a problem and you're being accused of something, if you did it, oh, go on and fess And don't try to avoid it. Don't try to work your way around. Don't try to rationalize. So, okay, well, we did this and we did that. I had good reasons for it. But if you did wrong, just confess it and move on. It's a lot easier that way. Deal with the issue. What was the issue with the blind man? He was blind. What good was it to know why he was blind? What good is it to know why bad things happen? I, I had a lot of ideas about this uh, COVID-19. Where did it come from? Is it sent by God? Is it a punishment of something we have done? Is it, uh, uh, is it the sins of a particular political party? Well, what, where did it come from? That is not worth one iota of brain power to think about that. It does no good to try to solve that issue. Do we blame on the Chinese? Do we nucleate, uh, uh, put nuclear bombs at them because of that? Is, is there a reason to uh, uh, do something about that? It does no benefit to the problem at hand. The problem at hand is how to deal with the virus, how to keep yourself safe, and how to, by doing that, keep others safe. Uh, the idea comes about is uh, how do you solve problems? Well, problem solving is basically a three-step problem. What is a problem? Trying to find the problem. What is some solutions to the problem? There are, there are a lot of solutions to the problem, a lot of solutions. First, is it a problem that you can have anything to do with solving? That's the old serenity prayer. Lord, give me the uh, uh, wisdom. Give me the uh, understanding to, uh, to change the things that I can change and grace to accept those things I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, once you think you found something that you think you can have some impact on, well, then what can you do? And finally come to the point now of all the potential solutions, select the one that's best, and go for it. There's a thing called analysis by paralysis, that you spend so much time thinking about what to do, thinking about what to do, that you do nothing. The thing is you're gonna feel much better if you take a solution. If you need to go and confess sins, if you need to um, <laughs> repair work around the house, get the job done, if worrying about these things don't, does not solve a problem, solve it. But deciding what to do, and then, and then taking action, that, that is, what to do. I've always been paranoid about my house maintenance. I'm worried about something going wrong and uh, I had rental property at one time, had a lot went wrong with that and uh, I got rid of that. But my house, I always worry about something going wrong with it. And so uh, about six months ago, I hired a home inspector. Yeah, I didn't want it home inspected for sales. I just want to come out here, look it over, tell me about anything wrong and it needs to be fixing, it needs to be keeping up with and he came and inspected the house, gave me a list, things that really need to be done. And I started working on that list. And I feel much better now. I don't worry about it because I'm, I'm taking action. I'm trying to solve the situation at hand and try, trying to get it done. But the person, I, I even got some roof work done. So that was good. Um, 
if you're going to be dealing with people and you're going to, in essence, think it's their fault, do it gently. Uh, someone said to always criticize in private and compliment in public. In other words, keep it aside. Don't try to make a big deal out of it. That's how to alienate somebody. Keep it to yourself, one-on-one, -on -one, if you have a, a criticizing criticizing somebody. But if somebody's done something good, let everybody know about it, brag about it, particularly that's good with kids with a baseball team or sports. And I've seen so many times a coach will just easily chew a kid out in public, just belittle them, and that's got the worst thing you can do. Give them a side and correct. Now the kid does something good, brag on in front of the whole team there. That's how you deal with blame. You don't try to blame somebody and get even with them. In this uh, record here, we found that the glory of God was shown. He said, was this, why was this man born blind? That the glory of God might be seen. Now, was this man born blind and, and lived some 30 years? He said he was of age, so I think he was about 30 years old. He lived about 30 years, blind. And rather than come to this, this point here, that the Lord would heal him, and Christ would be glorified because of this. Is that what happened? It kind of seems that way. If things happen to us, and we can just stop in a minute and look around and say, how can God get the glory out of this? I've seen so many people that have been sick. They have been perhaps dying. They have been in bad straits. And they can either get really, really mad and just be uh, uh, a terrible person to be around because of how they're just so upset about this, or they can accept it and glorify God, thank God. And when you come to visit them, I heard so many people talking about going to visit somebody who's sick, and they walk around back better in there, better than they felt when they went to visit them because of the good, positive attitude. Janet's mother, Mike's mother, uh, was not really bedridden, but she was house-ridden for years. And she says, why is the Lord keeping me here? Why, why am I still here? And she had what I call a ministry where every kid at Bethel Church got a card from her on their birthday with a little bit of money in it. And then she wrote to other people and talked to other people, kind of kept them cheered up. Why am I here? Well, she was here to help others, even though she needed help. And yet she was one who helped others. That, that, that's a good reason for being, and there's a good reason for the glory of God to find and look around. Some, what is the, somebody once said, the silver lining behind the cloud? Well, there may be something there that you can learn from it. And if you can emphasize that instead of dwelling on the bad parts of it, well, then you're going to be much better off. It, it doesn't matter which we dwell on the bad parts. That's not going to help you one bit but as far as trying to be positive about it and, and looking, for, where's the glory of God in this? Now, once this man was healed and got his eyesight, all those 30 years passed, that was just forgotten. That, that was history. The man had his eyesight. He could glory the Lord. He, he could worship Christ. Everything was just so much greater whenever this had happened. And he could care less how it happened. He could care less why it happened. We find that Job's um, wife, you know, Job lost everything except his wife. And she tells Job, curse God and die. Thanks, wife. That's a really good, helpful thing. Curse God and die. Uh, we can be like that or like Job, going and just keep on keeping on and striving to uh, do what he'd been doing in the past to be 
serving God and be one who was upright and shoot evil. That was Job didn't change, basically. And toward the end, he got a little questioning. But, and the last thing is to, I think, just confess your sin to yourself, to God. I'm, I'm a sinner. I need to have the grace of God. I need to have the glory of God. But the blaming other people has no benefit. It has no joy in it. It has no, um, no upside to it. And yet, so many times we're like the disciples. We're trying to decide, who, who can I blame? And a lot of times, just in conversation, we try to blame God. Something bad happens to us, a disease or whatever. Well, why did God let this happen? Why Doesn't God love me? I've been a good guy. All these things are happening. Well, sometimes things just happen. You, you know, unless you're here when the Lord comes back again, that you're going to die. You're going to go through the death process. Now, uh, I'm like Woody Allen. I, I don't mind dying, but I don't much want to be there when it happens. So sometimes there can be some, some pain associated with it. But the end result is going to be passing through that and it'll be with the Lord forever. No more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. Can't beat that. Something to look forward to. So even at the worst condition here, you might die. Well, that's good. That's good. You go on and, and to be with, with the Lord forever. We do hate to go through that process. But blaming has no upside down. Blaming has no, uh, no good point to it. I hope maybe when you get home that you'll get your Bible out and you'll read the ninth chapter, the book of John. Uh, a lot of things in here we could have spoke about, but I just thought that uh, just a, what, a, what a great uh, weird thing for these disciples to be blaming, find who to blame, and that's all they cared about. They didn't care about trying to heal the man. But who can I blame? God bless you. Do you have a closing hymn selected by the Virginia? Tennessee.